Well, good morning, everybody. To start today, I want to start with this picture that is from one of the first churches, the first Christian churches in the world. I know it's a little bright, so it's a little bit hard to see, but I just want you to take a long look at it. What do you notice? See, I've had a little bit of time to look, look at it a little longer. Uh, it is not metal, but it is made of little glass uh, sh- shards, broken pieces, or maybe some pottery, some type of uh, ceramic. It's a mosaic, first of all, and it's a mosaic that um, is almost but not quite symmetrical. So it, I think it plays with your mind a little bit like the peacock's feathers when you look at the little circles around there. And then they use different colors And so what I did is I stopped and thought about how those colors made me feel. Like the contrast between the brownish red on the the right side of the Christ figure's arm and then the blue on the other side and and what that did for my understanding of who Jesus was. And and I was drawn into that. I was just drawn in by the sheer magnitude of the size of this piece. Um, I haven't had the privilege of seeing it in person, but uh, the, the work is expansive. And... Not only the size of it, but the intricacy of each broken piece, because that's what a mosaic is, 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 is fit together and selected carefully by the artist's hand. And just how much work this would have taken. Um, it really, like, in, in one sense, when I look at something like this, and maybe you do too, I'm in awe of the artist who did it. Like, I can't imagine being able, how much time that took, but then how much vision it took to figure out every single piece and how that would fit together. And taking these little pieces of of red glass bead or red ceramic and saying, oh, that's going to go on this cloak that goes on the side of the Christ figure. I I, I literally am in awe of it. I, I feel like in one sense, I appreciate and respect the person, but at the other sense, I would put them at, at such a distance because I don't think I could ever do anything that big. And see, sometimes I think we come to the scriptures and we read in the exact same way. Like, for example, in Acts 13, this is the pivot moment in the church and in this story, how, how this wave of momentum from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from his followers understanding who he truly is, how they just took off and kind of went everywhere in the world. This is this pinnacle moment. But I think, like I said, that we read it in the same way that we look at this piece of art, or at least the way I look at this piece of art. And we think, oh, too big. Wow, the magnitude. And we put it at an arm's distance. In Acts 13, it says, uh, I will have it on the screen, I think, if you don't have a Bible. Otherwise, if you'd like a Bible, someone would bring you one if you just raised your hand. It's amazing. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we've heard about him before. Simeon, called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. 
This is the start of the Christian church telling the world about Christ. This is the place where they were first called Christians. Now, picture that scene kind of like we pictured the artwork. What did the church in Antioch look like? Were they meeting in a house? Were they meeting in a building? Was it even about where they were meeting? And how about the people? Were they multi-ethnic? Were they mono-ethnic? And this prayer and fasting, was this like a specific church routine? Or was this just part of the routine of their lives? And the sending off, was it like a graduation of a pomp and circumstance? Or was it almost a, a greeting when you leave someone at, at a service? Like, oh, see you next week or see you later. And how did the Holy Spirit speak? See, when I start to picture this scene, I start to put it in this far away, distant, magnificent looking picture that I could never be a part of. And maybe I'm unique, but I don't think I'm that unique. I think we have a hard time picturing the diversity of this group. The fact that two people, at least two people, are from Africa. One's from an island nation in the Mediterranean. One is from Turkey, who used to be the worst enemy of Christ. And then there's this privileged person who literally grew up next to a childhood friend of, maybe even in the house of Herod, the Herod, the king who beheaded John the Baptist and was in power when Christ was crucified. Like, that's a pretty diverse group. But we, we have a hard time picturing that. I think we also have a hard time picturing the spiritual commitment of this group. Just this idea of praying to the Lord and fasting and hearing the Holy Spirit say set apart for them. We don't often do that. And, and maybe the biggest one, at least in the conversations that I've had with people, is it's hard to picture myself as a missionary. And, and this screams missionary. And I don't know what it's like to have somebody put their hand on my shoulder and say, hey, when you do this, I see God at work. I think he's calling you to bigger things, we'll say. And, and maybe that's never happened to you. And so we look at Christians who appear like these verses, far off, something respectful about them, something to appreciate about them, kind of put them in awe, but hold them at a distance. And what I think happens in the scripture is that we miss being a part of the story. And if you've if you caught nothing from this whole series in Acts, it's that there are so many different people that are called to be a part of the story and they just believe that they're included and they go. In fact, I think the story gets more and more diverse and almost more and more unrecognized because so many people are unnamed. I'll show you what I mean. In this pinnacle moment, this would never have happened if there wouldn't have been this moment where there were some unknown immigrants who believed that, me, that to be a Christian meant that they were loved by God and they were part of his mission and they were part of his mosaic called the church. It's in Acts 11, verse 19, if you want to see it with me. There was just a big church in Jerusalem, and then there were these scatterings of people who had gone off to tell others about Jesus. But it says in Acts 11, 
Verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out against Stephen, or when Stephen, that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's like north of where they were, Cyprus, that's the island, closest island, and then Antioch, the closest, largest city. Spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Cyrene is, east, uh, is west of, of Egypt in Af- North Africa. Some, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. This is not Greek-speaking Jews. This is true Gentiles, like non-Jewish people. Because remember, in the first century, the first followers of Jesus, they were all Jewish by religion and pretty much ethnicity. And Jews at this time would not associate with any of the Gentile people, these people who could be any, na- any race, any tribe, any, any kind of ethnic group who did not worship the one living true God of Israel. So, Lots of people fell into this category, but the Jews, see, they had no reason to believe that that God loved the whole world because they were God's people. God had loved and chosen them and called them out for this purpose, so God loved the Jews. And and some guys, and I'm guessing women too, if, if you don't believe me here, certainly later in the story it explicitly names them, but some guys, they really believe that God loved the whole world that they should, there's no reason that that Jesus, the person of Jesus and the story of Jesus shouldn't go to people who didn't know him. And and that's sort sort of this part here, and I'm not trying to pick on these people, but the people that went and spread the word only among Jews, it would kind of be like saying, like, the people who believed in Jesus came to a new city and decided to share Jesus with all the church people. But some, but some spoke to people that had no idea. And if you knew the stories about Antioch, you'd know just how radical this is. And we won't take much time for this, but Antioch was called the Queen of the East. It was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire, only behind Rome and Italy and Alexandria in Egypt. And and they were um, size, wealth, power, and then maybe Rome and... and, um, Alexandria were greater in sin, but I'm not, I'm not totally sure because from its beginning, Antioch was this like mosaic, this medley of people because Arabs founded the town, but then Greeks took it over and then Romans came in and then Africans came in and then Jews came in. So lots of different people here, but not only that, like 40% of the world traveled through Antioch at that time. And so commerce was booming, but they also had lots of money. And when you have lots of money, just like here, you want lots of pl- like entertainment. So they had chariot races almost every day that they were betting on. It was like Canterbury Downs or something. And then they had a suburb called Daphne. And that kind of became the pleasure-seeking capital of the world. Because uh, Daphne was this young woman in Greek uh, mythology. She was a, she was human, but the Roman god Apollo, he had eyes for Daphne, so he kind of chased her around, and to keep her to himself, he changed her into a laurel bush, because that's loving, and so anyway, all these laurel bushes grow up in the region, and then so people would go to Daphne, this is the point, they would go to Daphne's temple, or they would go behind the laurel bushes, and they would 
do things that, that ended up, um, it became known as Daphnic morals, and it was just, it basically meant you didn't have any morals, and so it was sort of this, um, what happens in Daphne stays in Daphne type of thing. My point being that the people in Antioch were infamous for their entrepreneurial business skills, their, um, I guess you'd say profane thinking, and then their promiscuous living. Now, so it was sort of like Las Vegas meets Baghdad meets New York. That's the person that was there, and they didn't know Jesus. I don't know about you, but that would be kind of hard for me to just walk over and be like, so what are we doing? We're, we're going over to Daphne, and then we're going to go bet on the chariot races, and then, you know, I was thinking that we could go, oh, okay. But some men from outside the community, immigrants really, people who didn't see this as their permanent home, who believed that Jesus loved them, who saw themselves as part of God's church and saw themselves as part of God's mission, shared Jesus with people who didn't know him. It was the unstoppable moment that just exploded in the whole church. See, these people that weren't, weren't told that you weren't part of the story became part of the story. Now, there's no reason to believe that these people would have said yes, except for the next verse that says that the hand of the Lord or the power of the Lord was with them, and they turned and trusted Jesus as their Lord. Is there anyone in your life, if you've been walking with Jesus, is there anyone in your life that you're like, there's no way, there's no way that that person's going to come to know Christ. They're just too far gone. I have a few people like that. But maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe you remember a time when you didn't know Jesus, and you thought you were too far gone. There's a time where I was so close, and yet I was so far gone. And God while I was still a sinner, Romans says, died for me. And before you think anyone is too, too far gone, remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son, not just the Jews, not just the church people, the crazy people. Because Jesus said, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. Because a lot of us think the message that sharing the message of Jesus is optional. You know, like, oh, I, I love Jesus. I'm, I'm part of his church. I'm going to do nice things. I'm going to do good things for him. But sharing the message, ah. Like, isn't that a gift? I heard evangelism's a gift. Some people would say evangelism's a gift. And, and, and that's true. Ephesians 4 says that God, through the Holy Spirit, gave gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher to the church. That's true. We're not all evangelists. God doesn't call us all to be evangelists, but he does say that we're all witnesses. We're all witnesses. We tell about what we've seen and heard. And so in that case, we can't, we can't shake the responsibility of being a witness. To be a Christian is not just to be loved by God, it's to be a part of his mission and see yourself as part of his mosaic called the church. Even to people who are really, really, really far away. 
I have a friend named Ryan, and when uh, I met Pastor Ryan and his wife, Kristen, um, we met at a church planter's assessment in Denver several years ago. And um, we were both on staff at fairly large churches, and we were both approved to plant churches, so we kept in touch, and we both had to grapple somewhat together and somewhat separately about this call to start churches. Like, do we really, really believe that this is a way that people who are far from God can, can get to know God and kind of remove some of the religious barriers? And, and do we want to do that? Because, you know, not, not so churchy people will come to that, and they'll be kind of, they might even be needy, you know, but... Maybe I'm needy too. So anyway, we both said yes to start churches because of that realization. Um, I ended up not having to go very far. He ended up wanting to go back to his home state of Arizona. And so as he was in discussions with like the church planting director, they go, you know where we really need a church is in Arizona. We really need a church in Las Vegas. Uh, I've, n- I've never lived in Las Vegas, Ryan said. And he said, well, we really, really need a church in Las Vegas. Would you, would you just pray about it? See, I don't think the amazing part is that Ryan and Christian prayed about it and said yes. I think the amazing part is that from their suburb in St. Paul, the two families, one single guy or girl and, and one family, without jobs, said we'll move to Las Vegas and start that church with you. They didn't believe that those people were too far gone. And God has done some amazing things in their lives together and in their lives outside of that and baptized hundreds of people in the last four years because they just share the message of Jesus with people. Now, they don't categorize people as church people or not church people or Whatever, and that's the truth of this passage. They just go out of their way to share the love of Jesus because there's a lot of people that are desperate for God who just aren't sure how to find him. And they're honestly, they're not coming to the church very often to find him. So we go. So do you go out of your way Do I go out of my way to share the love of Jesus with people who might be far away? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I just want you to think about if you don't, what stops you? See, some people would stop because they would say, I kind of always thought of evangelism as optional, as sharing my faith as optional. But a whole lot of other people also say, like, well, yeah, but I don't or I'm not, or I don't have, and it's all of this kind of not enough thought. Like, I don't have this. It's all these limitations. So basically, you know, and I'm totally guilty of this, and God just, he was very, very loving, but he's like, so your limitations are bigger than my power? That's pretty much what I'm saying, isn't it? When I say, but God, but God, but God, and that's, why it took me so long to say yes to him to do this is because, well, God, I, my kids are too young and I don't, my grad, my degree's not finished and, but God, you don't, you don't, oh, does God sit around and go, oh my gosh, Michael, come here, Gabriel, come here. Did you know that, that Rob's kids are so young? Oh my gosh, did you know that he doesn't have a degree? Oh, what are we going to do? 
He's the God of the universe who's inviting his power into our lives. All we have to do is say yes. In fact, the more limitations we have, the more impossibilities, that's like God's just sitting there. I think he's sitting there going, mm, just say yes, just let me work because no one's going to believe that you can do that. They're going to give me the credit because God's glory is to spread his name. Not any of us. I mean, these two people in the story are not even, or more than two, but they're not even named. Just some men from Cyrene and from Cyprus. But this is the first Christian church that's established because some people didn't care about recognition. They just cared about sharing the love of Jesus. They didn't think, they weren't stopped by it. And maybe you think, well, you, you don't know what I've done, or you don't know the, the shadows in me, the, the broken pieces in me, the insecurities in me. No, I don't. But I know. I know that God's church, his mosaic, is filled with a bunch of broken people. Because I'm pretty sure that the two most important people in the Jewish faith, and in a faith as a Christian, Moses and David in particular, they both were murderers. That's pretty broken. Abraham and Peter, they were both big doubters. Rahab and Tamar, they both did some shady stuff sexually. Um, Jacob wrestled with God, and um, Sarah complained to God, and Jonah despised the fact that God actually redeemed a bunch of people that were far from him. And God used broken people, because those are the only ones he has. So maybe we should just stop admitting that we're so put together and start admitting that we're all a little broken because that's where God does his best work. The mosaic of art is filled with little broken pieces, pieces that others would call worthless. And his church expands. And, and look at how it expands. The Lord's hand was with them, it says, and a great number believed in the Lord. News of this reached the, the big church, the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done. And he was glad, he was happy, he rejoiced, and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Now, Barnabas was a good man. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas knew he couldn't do it alone. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, because Tarsus was just around the corner. So for a whole year, Saul and Barnabas met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem, and one of them named Abigail stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread all throughout the entire Roman world. And then Luke likes to do this. This happened during the reign of Claudius. These disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, where Jerusalem is. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. 
Now, my point in sharing that part of the story is that when, when the, the original church heard about this, they didn't send Peter. They didn't send one of the 12 apostles. They didn't send one of the official guys. You know what they did? They said, oh my gosh, this is in, this is in Antioch, and we've heard that these people from Cyprus and Cyrene, like, who are we going to send? Barnabas, Barnabas is from Cyprus, and, and Barnabas has been super generous. Barnabas, if anyone is going to give them the benefit of the doubt, it's going to be Barnabas. Let's send Barnabas, and they do. And Barnabas doesn't just see a motley crew of people like in a house praising God and hearing about Jesus. He sees the grace of God at work in people. Do you see the grace of God at work in your life? If you don't, like, let us help you find a friend who can see the grace of God at work in your life. If you do, can you see the grace of God at work in someone else's life? Because if you do, you should tell them. They won't take the credit for it. You should tell them because too many of us, we don't believe we're enough and we think God has a rule book and he just sits there and goes, eh, didn't do this, he didn't do that. No, they just need to see the grace of God at work in their life. And Barnabas was the guy to do it. He saw God at work. Because see, when Barnabas went there, he didn't bring God. God was already active. God was already at work. And if you've ever gone on a mission trip, you have to believe that God is already there, that you're not bringing him, that you're just there to recognize where he's at work and to partner with him. It takes all a bunch of pressure off. So to be part of his mission just means that I'll try to see you, God, and then I'll work with you where you're at work. And that's what was happening here. See, the Holy Spirit makes it super clear that Jesus came to save the whole world and there was no restrictions on that. No, no restrictions based on familiarity or geography or ethnicity or morality. Like everyone was offered forgiveness. We're not saying like God tolerates everyone. God just accepts everyone. We're saying no, everyone has a chance to turn from their own stuff and receive Jesus and accept and that when you see that, then you're a part of it. You're a part of this mosaic. You're a part of this mission. It doesn't have to be a big, scary mission. It just means you see yourself as believing in Jesus, belonging to his church, and being a part of his mission. Because God is making a beautiful masterpiece. And he's using all these little broken pieces, and maybe that's why it feels sometimes weird, at least this church called Restoration, but he's doing great things. And if you see here, my point in reading that whole thing is, gosh, the things they do in Antioch, even though they look different, they're a lot of the same things that they were doing in Jerusalem. They were praying and fasting and teaching. They were learning. They were reading the scriptures. They were sharing with each other. When a, a, a famine, which just means not enough, a shortage was predicted, they didn't go, oh, no, what are we going to do? They're like, well, what about those people worse off than us? We need to send them money. We need to send them help. They were generous people. Same kind of church. See, the church needs unstoppable Christians that realize the power of God who can take the work beyond the current borders. This, this is my friend, um, Pastor Sudin. If you think you're not enough, as we 
um, wrap up here. Um, Pastor Sudin is, is from Loatian Covenant Church. Sorry, you can't see him very well. Um, I want him to come this summer. His English isn't very good, so he's a little apprehensive. But Pastor Sudin has been blessed to, by, the, by our, our network of churches and his church, to stop being the senior pastor, the lead pastor of that church, and to become a missionary back to his home country of Laos. That's never, I don't think that's ever happened before. Not only that, if you knew his story, you'd know what a man of God and man of faith he is. He has endured a concentration camp run by communists. He escaped from it. Then he lived in a refugee camp. In the refugee camp, before he came to the U.S., he was led to Christ by a Buddhist monk who had been led to Christ. And then he becomes the pastor to thousands of people in the refugee camp. And then he comes here, and he's a pastor to hundreds of refugees and hundreds of Laotians that are in the metro because we're filled with this mosaic too. And yet, he's, he's raised up an, another pastor alongside of him for the last six years, and now he's saying, I feel called to go back to my country. Every person in his church has come from Buddhism to faith in Christ. I'm so blown away by this man. And he's nothing special. He just sees himself as loved by God and a part of the church and a part of the mosaic. So we're praying, and we'll talk about this next week at our vision meeting. We're just praying about, hey, could some of our tithe challenge go not just to missions, but also to Pastor Sudin? I can talk to you more about that when, um, when we go celebrate and have cake. But as we, as we think about this passage, and as you think about your life right now, Please don't think about all the not enoughs. Just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Because maybe the Holy Spirit is tapping you saying, this story, these stories, this is you. You are part of this story. You have the opportunity to share with the people around you. You don't have to be weird about it. You can just, if Jesus is your Lord and your best friend, then you just integrate it into the conversation. But I see you as my witness and I want you to go. Maybe God is saying that to you. Maybe it's across the world. Maybe it's across the country or across the region. But maybe it's across the street or across the school or across the hall. But he's saying, I want you to go. Just start talking about who Jesus is. The church needs these unstoppable Christians who not only can go, but also in humility can see who else God is calling to go. That is just as important of a work. So maybe God is asking you to see in someone else this missionary mosaic spirit. Let's pray as we, as we transition. God, I thank you for this time and for this work and for what you're doing in our lives, in this church and around the world, Jesus. I pray that we would see ourselves in part of the story, that we would move with you wherever you call us to go. God, that you would convict us and then, Holy Spirit, you'd work to take out those things that, that keep us from, from doing things keep us from saying things, and keep us from living in your story and seeing ourselves as part of your beautiful mosaic called the church. God, may we embrace you and embrace others of faith 
and embrace those who are very far from you. In the name of Jesus, amen.